church today for the very first time this Sunday, you have arrived on an unusual Sunday, at least as it pertains to this sermon and the preaching of the word. And of course, every time inevitably that I have one of these sermons that I feel like is going to be a little bit different than the norm. And I wonder how a visitor will perceive it. There are a number of you that I see here for the first time today. So sorry about that. Uh, bear with us. You have dropped in in the very middle, actually quite towards the end of a series that we have been doing this summer, looking at how the Bible uses the metaphor of clothing throughout, really from beginning to end to describe our relationship with God and the nature of how we approach God and have our fellowship and communion with God. I saved, as I was working through this sermon uh, series and as I was structuring it, I saved one Sunday in particular to address how does the Bible speak to the issue of clothing literally uh, not just metaphorically, and that happens to be this Sunday that we are here today. And, and this topic, I want, I want to make no mistake, I want this to be absolutely clear, what I'm talking about today is tertiary, okay? It is not the main thing that we are talking about this morning. It's practical, to be sure, but it as is not primary, as our Lord Jesus Christ makes clear in the text that I will read for us. Uh, we're going to have to look today at a variety of texts from Scripture, but in order to, I think, get us off on the right foot, considering uh, clothing literally and what the Bible has to say about it, it is best for us to turn to the words of Jesus, some of the most wonderful words that have ever been recorded and have been preserved for us are found in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. So if you forget everything else that was said today, this is the verse to remember. These are the verses to remember regarding clothing. Hear then this portion of the Word of God and rejoice in it. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you? by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added 
to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for those words. We thank you for your example. We thank you for this world. We thank you that you you are concerned for our inmost being. And we pray that as we hear your word today, that we would not misunderstand it, that we would not misapply it, but that we would understand it correctly and be able to see how it relates to our own lives. Lord, help me to speak clearly and help everyone here to hear well. And we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with dependence upon the Holy Spirit at work in us today. Amen. How should we then live? That was the title of the video series uh, and the book by Francis Schaeffer. It was the question that he asked about Western culture. And basically, he examined from a biblical perspective, from a theological perspective, sociological, historical, uh, Western civilization and asked, how should we then live in light of what has been handed to us as God's people. I'm borrowing the title from Schaefer this morning, uh, but our aims are a bit more modest than answering uh, in a uh, whole kind of holistic kind of way, how shall we then live? This morning we are considering how should we then dress. And the reason, and the only reason, that there's a sermon like this in, uh, in a time like this is not because, and I said this at the beginning, but I have to say it again, it's not because I've noticed the way people are dressing and I've been just looking for an opportunity to get in a word about how to dress. It has nothing to do with that. It is simply that it is an appropriate topic for the series that we've been in. It seemed like it would be negligent to me to talk all about the metaphor of clothing and not to consider at least what the Bible has to say more literally about clothing. But as Jesus reminds us, first things first, the people of this world spend a ton of time thinking about the question of what do I wear? Where are we going to go to eat? What are we going to drink? How are we going to do all of these things? And there's a tremendous amount of anxiety about it. Will we have enough? Will I have enough in the future to provide for myself, to provide for my family? And what will people think of me depending on what I wear and what I eat and what I drink? People make idols out of the very things that we're going to be discussing today. So as we approach these things, we have to say this, be cautious. I'm going to say this again. This is tertiary. The call from Jesus is clear. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these other things will be added as well. If we were to put that in the words of this series, what Jesus is saying is before you spend any time thinking about what you're wearing, being anxious about what you're wearing, worrying about what you're going to wear, before you spend any time doing that, be sure that you are clothed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be sure that you've put on Christ. Come to Christ by faith, and in His mercy, He will remove the old clothes from you, and He will dress you in His glorious clothes, his righteousness, and his gladness. 
that allows you to come into the presence of the Lord. That said, with that foundation, the reality is we do, in fact, think about, and we need to think about clothing, and we need to think about food. When Jesus tells us, do not be anxious about these things, he's not saying, don't think about these things. He's saying, actually, just do not be anxious about these things. Now, on the front of your bulletin, there is a verse that is quoted there from the book of Deuteronomy, and it describes the time for the people in the wilderness. And if you will recall that time, the people in the wilderness did not think or did not need to think about food because, in fact, God rained down manna from heaven. He provided for them. And as in the verses that are in the front of your bulletin, in fact, God provided for them so that their clothing did not wear out and the sandals on their feet did not wear out. But that was, for the people of God, a 40-year moment in history, a unique time when God is leading them out of the wilderness and into the promised land. The idea there is we should not obsess about clothing because God will ultimately provide for us. But nevertheless, we should think about it. If we had no other biblical examples of clothing, and we had only the example of, again, on the front of your bulletin, the woman from Proverbs 31, we would see that indeed we need to think about clothing. The woman who is praised and described in Proverbs 31, whose own clothing is fine, is also a woman who takes well care of her family. She provides for her family. She thinks about what will my family need in terms of clothing, as, for example, in that text, winter is approaching, and how can I make sure that my family is well provided for, well cared for, and well clothed? She's an example for all of us, and we will return to her in just a few minutes towards the end of the sermon. But what I'd like to do today is I'd like to divide the sermon into two parts. The first part, what I'd like us to do, is look at biblical cautions and warnings when it pertains to the issue of clothing. What does the Bible have to say that tells us, be very careful as you consider these things or as you're looking at clothing because there are temptations that are associated with clothing itself? And then the second part of the sermon, what does the Bible have to say by way of commending aspects of clothing or endorsing that to us? And so we'll, we'll look at it in those two divisions, but we begin first of all with the cautions or dangers that are associated with clothing. And for uh, this portion, really for the rest of the sermon, I'm going to be referencing passages that are printed on pages 7 through 9 of your bulletin. So you may want to have that open in front of you because I'll be going back and forth to point out several things from them. Our categories then for these cautions, these warnings that Scripture provides for us are anxiety, pride, cover-up, discontentment, and partiality. Those are all concerns that the Scripture has about clothing. Let's start with anxiety because that flows right out of the Matthew 6 passage that we just read. We are warned by Jesus about inordinate concern 
inordinate attention that we are tempted to pay towards the issues of clothing. We recognize this. I, I trust all of us have either seen this in our own lives or we've seen it in people that we know. People can be consumed by concerns about clothing, right? You know that. You know that people can be consumed by these things. We can call them what we want to. We can call them shopaholics. But how you look can become something that controls us. And sometimes we are convinced by practice, if not by creed, that if we can just either get to the store or order something online, if we can just get some new clothes and wear those new clothes, the new clothes will in fact make us happy. The new clothes will give us perhaps some status, some admiration of the people who are around us. And this really isn't governed by age. Children of the church spend, children in general, spend lots of time asking, how do I look compared to my peers? What do I look like? Do I look like them? Do I look worse than them? Am I wearing the right thing? Am I wearing the wrong thing? Will I get made fun of for what I'm wearing? Or will I be able to make fun of somebody else for what they're wearing? Children want to measure up to their friends, and one of the quick ways that they do it is, what do you look like? What are you wearing? Jesus says very simply, be careful not to be anxious about what you wear. Secondly, second warning, pride. Scripture is full of examples of people who were proud or at least expressed pridefulness through what they wore, by how they looked. In our day and age, that might sound like if not said, under, your, your coat isn't from Patagonia. It's not from the North Face. It's not from Houdini. You, your coat's from something else. You got your coat someplace other than one of those top-end sports places. In Luke, Luke 16, it's in your bulletin as well. In Luke 16, the rich man in Hades was dressed well on earth. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. He looked great on earth. He was clothed really well on earth. Not so much in the afterlife. In Isaiah chapter 3, it's on page 7 in the back of your bulletin, the daughters of Zion are described as being haughty, they walk around with outstretched necks, kind of as they go, looking for people to look at them and to notice how good they look, how well they're dressed, how ornamented they are. They're being prideful. And God says, I'm going to change that. And here's how he does it. In that day, the Lord will take away, verse 18, the finery of the anklets, the headbands, and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, and the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes, and the amulets, the signet rings and nose rings, the festal robes and mantles, the cloaks and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans, and the veils. 
It's a lot of accessorizing that has gone on there. And God says, I'm going to take all of that away. Instead of perfume, there'll be rottenness. Instead of a belt, a rope. And instead of well-set hair, baldness. And instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth. Branding instead of beauty. We have to be careful of the temptation that exists within all of us, within humanity, to display beauty pridefully. Third, third warning from Scripture is using clothing as a cover-up. Think for a moment of examples in Scripture that we have of that, Rebecca and Esau, Tamar, the Gibeonites, all deceive with clothing, all cover certain things up so that they can get what they want via clothing. The Lord sees through those things. God sees, in fact, inside out, and perhaps one of the clearest passages about it is there from Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4 on page 9 of your bulletins, verse 4. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. The warning is there. God sees inside out. So don't make the mistake of thinking that how well you look on the outside based on your adornments, your accoutrement, and your dress is going to fool God. The fourth concern, discontentment. Discontentment. Paul writes in 1 Timothy, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those of you who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Paul says that we should be content if we have clothing, but you and I know by experience that there is an entire machinery, there is an entire industry that with respect to your clothing has one thing in mind, and that is to make you what? Discontent. That's what it wants to do. It wants to convince you that what you are wearing is inappropriate, and it wants to make you unhappy about what you are wearing. It is that industry and that machine that has that goal that makes you go into your closet, look at all of the clothes that are there, and say, I don't have a thing to wear. I don't have anything to wear. Discontentment is part of the warning of Scripture with respect to clothing. And fifth and final warning that we have in Scripture, we've got anxiety, pride, cover-up, discontentment. The last is partiality. 
showing partiality based on the clothing that people wear and therefore assuming uh, that that corresponds to their status and their significance that we ha they have in society or in the church. James is the one who points that out so well, bottom of page 8. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? People use clothing to separate, to distinguish, to say what is and who is valuable to them, and to make decisions accordingly. Uh, the first verse that's listed in the back is a reminder that there was one father who loved one son in particular because he was the son of his old age, and you know how he showed that love. Uh, he made him a beautiful coat of many colors. People can use clothing to make distinctions, to show partiality between people, and much of the exhortation that we find in the scriptures with respect to clothing is an attempt to say, don't set yourselves apart from one another with what you are wearing. Try to find a way that even what you are wearing can express your unity, your camaraderie, your love for one another and not partiality. Okay, so those are the negative side of things, the prohibitions, if you will. Uh, if those then are some of the warnings, what can we say positively in terms of the Bible's view of clothing? Are there commendations, are there endorsements that Scripture gives about how shall we then dress? Is the answer to be found, for example, in the Amish solution to this question, or the Mennonite solution to the question. Should we, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, always wear the old suit and the old dress? And if that's not the case, how should we go about procuring something new? When should we go about getting something new? Should we, in an effort not to be too conscious about what we're wearing, should we just kind of go to the closet or go to the website, close our eyes and just hit something and go, well, that must be what the Lord has for me to wear. I don't want to be anxious about it. I don't want to think about it. I don't think that quite gets at it here. Before we, though, consider some specific principles that the Bible gives us, let's be clear about this. The Bible does not endorse any type of a uniform with any specific measurements that fit every culture. You won't find that in the Bible. There's no hem length measure in the Bible for you to say that's the right one and this is the wrong one. It doesn't exist. There's no one culture that exists in human history whereby God's going to look at it and go, those guys got clothing just right. They nailed it. They're the ones who got everything right, all the proportions right. They're the ones who nailed it. Now, I know that's obvious to say that to you, that the Bible doesn't endorse a particular uniform, 
But the implications of saying that are pretty significant. What it leaves us with are a number of principles, at least, that we find in Scripture that we've actually got to wrestle with and figure out a way to apply in our particular time, in our particular culture, in this industrial age in which we live, in which production affords us so many opportunities, so many things that are possibilities for us to where at least we've got to realize that there's not one specific uniform. Now, in the Old Testament, to be sure, we saw that uh, in the reading that was there earlier, the priest had a specifically designed, described by God, this is how it should be made, these are the materials, this is what it all means. But he was the only one who had that, and he only wore it at certain particular times. And, And there are passages, I put them in here, that describe that you should, in fact, wear tassels or uh, perhaps that say you should not mix certain fabrics, but those passages were more designed to fit a particular time to show us how you should be ceremonially set apart, clean before the Lord. There's not necessarily a moral aspect to wearing two different types of fabrics, except that the Lord used it at that time to show his people that they should be distinct. But nevertheless, then, what are the principles that we can find in Scripture? The first one is this. We should dress appropriately. Dress appropriately. We should be able to recognize that different situations call for different types of dress. There is a cultural attempt in our culture in particular to flatten the way we dress, to make everything casual. And that is seen, not least of all, in the church. It is seen in how pastors dress. Think about churches. Think about places that you've visited. Think about what I would be wearing if this were 50 years ago. What would I be wearing? I wouldn't be wearing a suit. I'd be wearing a robe, right? 50 years ago, Presbyterian pastors didn't wear suits. They wore robes. Probably not a lot. I don't know what the percentages would be of those who now wear suits or wear something else when they're preaching. But it, it impacts the way I'm dressed right now. And that, that desire to flatten, to make things casual, has also impacted the way you are dressing right now, whether you realize it or not. What you are wearing is governed by that desire to make all things more casual. The Bible, however, appreciates and respects different occasions, and it celebrates or it mourns accordingly, and it dresses suitably according to the occasion, according to the time. There is a time to mourn, and there is a time to dance, and there is a time, and we've seen this before, right, to wear sackcloth and a time to wear tuxes. The Bible appreciates that everything is not the same, and one of the simple, tertiary, simple ways that you express and appreciate the difference between what is taking place is through clothing. You dress appropriately. When Joseph and Daniel were in prison, they were dressed in prison garb. 
But when they had come out of prison and risen by God's grace to the positions that God had assigned for them in the respective kingdoms wherein they were held captive, they were dressed differently. They were clothed by the Pharaoh, by the king, according to the position that they had. It was an appropriate way of dressing them. Gentlemen, gentlemen, when you go out to dinner with your wife, what factors go into considering what you will wear at that moment? If you're going out to get a bite to eat because you've had a hard day at work and you're just going to go to a fast food place, all right, wear whatever you want. But, but, what if it's her birthday? What if it's your anniversary? Well, well, the idea here that I'm trying to say by dress appropriately is recognize whom you're with and what the occasion is and dress suitably, accordingly, because that seems to be the example that we have throughout much of Scripture. Much is lost when everything is flattened to homogeneity. Secondly, versus dress appropriately, the second is dress in a culturally appropriate way. Culturally appropriate. Now, this is more difficult and dangerous than the first statement, but I want you to think about this for a moment from the perspective of a missionary. Let's say you're going overseas, you're going into a foreign culture, and you're going to be a missionary in that culture. Paul says, I've become all things to all people that I might by all means win some. So, how do you dress? Are you going to dress exactly like you are right now? Or might you look around and say, how do the people here dress because I don't want to offend or stand out just because of the way that I am dressed? So, we go to Ukraine. And we don't know a lot about Ukraine, but one of the things we know about Ukraine is that it's cold. And so we gear up with uh, winter gear. It looks like we're going to the Arctic, okay? So imagine those pictures you've got of people going to, certain, you know, to a, a, an outpost in the Arctic. We go to Land's End or L.L. Bean or whatever it was, and we get Arctic gear, so big, heavy coats and big hats and big boots. Um, there's nothing about them at all that is attractive, nothing at all that is about them that is beautiful. We get to Ukraine, and we look around, and we're the only ones who look like that. We're the only ones who look that ridiculous. You can see that we're ridiculous Americans from a mile off by looking at who we are. And so at some point, we go, we don't understand because we couldn't understand how they stayed warm and looked that good, um, but we had to process that. We had to learn that, and by the time we left, those coats and those shoes had gone to the back of the closets, and they weren't pulled out anymore. Actually, I still have the boots. The boots are the ones I still wear. They work great here in the States. Um, but they didn't work there. And so we learned how do you dress appropriately for this. Culturally speaking, you have to think about this. A couple of men and I were sitting in the back at a potluck, I think it was probably two years ago, and we were sitting there talking. I think we were talking about the width of men's ties Right? Okay, so, so they go like this, right? Men's ties go in and out like that, and you got to kind of, you know, you know, does this tie still work? 
and and a couple of us were joking like we had gotten a tie out I don't know if it was Christmas or something like that and it was a Christmas tie and it was really wide and we wondered does that thing still work in this culture or not and then we joked about the fact that we have a bunch of suits in the back of our closet that are pleated and and cuffed at the hems and baggy pants and you know what if you're wearing that right now I didn't see it I I don't want to see it, and I'm sorry, I, I swear, I don't want to make us self-conscious about this at all. But the point is, okay, that's changed. Okay, that's changed, culturally speaking. So what do you do with that? We can't and we shouldn't be led by the nose culturally. But the reality is that every single person in this room, all of you right now, are dressed culturally. Right? Nobody's here wearing a robe. Not a single person. Now, how many times have we seen robes described in Scripture? Plenty of times, and nobody's wearing one. Well, you're all dressed culturally. We're all making accommodations culturally and trying to say, this seems like a good thing. Nobody here today is wearing a bolo tie. Sorry, just doing a quick scan, right? You know what a bolo tie is? A bolo tie? Uh, uh, yeah, the, the Western-style tie with the two notches that come down. Philip Rivers. You think in the NFL, Philip Rivers still wears a bolo tie. But nobody here is wearing a bolo tie. Why? We don't live out west. Nobody here is wearing Bermuda shorts and a sports coat to go with the Bermuda shorts. And I bet when you go to a baseball game, I bet none of you wear ties. But look at some old pictures. Look at some old pictures of baseball games. You'll find the men, most of them, in coat and ties at a baseball game. Now let me be more serious here in, in one respect in this section. From Deuteronomy chapter 22 in your bulletins there, I, I want to read one verse in particular, verse 5. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Now I put that and I wanted to reference that in this section under culturally appropriate because that changes according to culture, according to time and according to culture, what, what is acceptable as women's attire and what is acceptable as men's attire goes back and forth. Now, sometimes changes take place in a culture and we need to resist those for any variety of reasons, but nevertheless, there is a biblical principle here that says, be careful with that. Be careful with what you're wearing. Within the culture in which you live, you're going to have to look around. And you're going to have to say, what do men tend to wear and what do women tend to wear, and not get that mixed up. It's, it's a statement that is true for all cultures, but it's culturally defined how that will manifest itself. All right, third positive thing we can say. The passages that probably come to mind, if I said to you, what does the scripture say about how should we dress? The passages that come to mind are written in your bulletin. They are 1 Peter 3, 3 and 1 Timothy 2, 9. I'll do the 1 Timothy 2, 9. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Uh, and then 1 Peter 3, 3, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. I, 
I don't know, I'm not even going to look up to see if anybody has braided hair uh, right now. I'm sure, I'm 100% sure that there are a lot of you who are wearing gold right at the moment. Now, let me say something then with respect, first of all, to this First Peter passage. Peter is actually not forbidding jewelry here any more than he is forbidding clothing. If he is forbidding jewelry, he is forbidding clothing as well because that's the way it is written. And he's not forbidding women from wearing clothing at church. He's arguing against being, and I think this is an incredibly helpful word when you're trying to decide what do I buy and how do I dress. He's arguing against being ostentatious. That's, that's the point here. Don't be ostentatious. Don't pick out something just for the sake of showing off. And your dress, don't go over the top. Don't be flamboyant. Don't be risque. Those are the things that Peter is saying. And frankly, you're going to have to adjust that depending on which culture you live in. There'll be different things that measure whether or not you've gone over the line. In the Timothy passage, Paul uses three great words to describe how we should dress, how women should dress, but I think applicable to men as well. It should be respectable, which by the way, respectable apparel, respectable is also a word that is a quality for ruling elders. Ruling elders have to be respectable. Respectable is well-arranged, orderly, and seemly. Uh, with modesty is the second term that he uses, and modesty is a sense of reverence, and sometimes uh, people find it helpful to think of modesty in this way. Modesty is the thing that keeps you from wearing something that would actually be shameful to you if you wore it. That's what, that's what modesty does. Modesty restrains wearing of something that would, in fact, be shameful. And for that, and in, even in and of itself, we've got to recognize that that is a culturally sensitive statement. What some of you are wearing right now would have been, a hundred years ago, immodest, but is not today. In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked on as something shop shocking. Now, heaven knows, anything goes. Frank Sinatra, Cole Porter song. That, that's the reality. The reality is modesty has got to be defined within a culture. And you've got to kind of look, and you've got to kind of observe, and you've got to make decisions and think about it in that respect. And the last thing that Paul says here is self-control. Dress in a self-controlled way. That's another, by the way, quality of an elder. And the point here is self-government. Now let's dress, address a reality here for a moment. Self-control. Parents, children, how many times has this been a struggle in your home? You can or you can't wear that out to school, to church. How many times have you had those battles? Parents, rules won't do it. What you are looking to build into your children is self-control. And the idea there is that you have the ability to self-regulate, to look and to say, nope, that's not going to work. That's, this is not the thing to wear to this particular place. 
And it takes wisdom and discernment and knowledge of the situation that you're going into to make that decision. Let me just give a, a, a very simple example. If we were all on the beach right now, I suspect that we'd be wearing bathing suits, right? So we'd be revealing a lot more of ourselves than we are at the present moment. But none of us come to church and think, maybe I'll wear a bathing suit to church. Why? Because it's not the right place, it's not the right time for that kind of wear. And so all of these things, and, and, and kids, uh, I'm sorry, not kids, younger people uh, who are involved in this battle with their parents right now, the desire is for you to learn self-control in this, judgment, to be able to see what is best and what is good and to develop a sense of propriety. And I've saved the best, the best principle, the best for last here. The fourth and final principle for dress from the Bible is this, dress beautifully. Dress beautifully. Do not equate simplicity, modesty, respectability with ugliness. The Bible, while focusing without question on the internal, recognizes that there is such a thing as beauty. And so Psalm 45, a psalm that we've looked at and we've sung together a number of times in this series, when the groom comes into the wedding, he is described as handsome. And when the bride comes into the wedding, she is described, all glorious is the princess in her chamber with robes interwoven with gold in many colored robes. She is led to the king. She's glorious. She is beautiful. The clothes of the high priest were specific and they were symbolic. They were representational, but the clothes of the high priest and the clothes that the sons were to wear as well were for what? For beauty and for glory. For beauty and for glory. God decorates his habitation with that which reflects his character, and he is beautiful. The woman in Proverbs 31 didn't say to her kids, listen kids, I'm making you tan clothing out of sackcloth and you'll wear it and you'll like it because it won't wear out and it's practical and I can do that cheaply. Instead, she herself was clothed in fine linen and she made garments for them that were scarlet so that her family, her children were clothed in that which was functional, that which would keep them warm, and that which was likewise beautiful. Within means, and, and there's so much we could say, within our means, without going overboard, keeping culture in mind, keeping in mind the poor, the Lord of a beautiful creation invites the creature to consider beauty in its many varieties, to consider form, to consider proportion, to consider material, to consider color, how things fit together or not. It is not a sin, people of God, to consider this. Men, some things fit together and some things don't. And if you're confused, ask your wife. And she'll tell you, no, that actually doesn't work. 
nice try. Let me, let me get something else. I, I, I know a young grandson very well who goes to his closet on a Sunday morning and he pulls out a plaid shirt and a plaid tie because they're both plaid, so they should go together, right? And the mom smiles and says, well, let's try again. What if we put this solid tie with the plaid because those go together in a better way? Obsession with external beauty is sinful. Obsession with external beauty is sinful. Indifference to external beauty is a loss. It's a little bit of a pity. Obsession with clothing is sinful, but indifference isn't the answer. So have fun working through this, talking about these things at home. But remember, my brothers and sisters, it is tertiary. This is not the main thing. It's not the primary things. You know what Paul said to the Corinthians describing himself? I am poorly dressed. Poorly dressed. Not anymore. Not anymore. Because he's clothed in the righteousness and the beauty of Jesus Christ. But then he was. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be yours as well. Lord, we ask at the beginning and we ask again that we would not hear these things incorrectly, that these would not be instruments of judgment except for ourselves as we try to think through how do we live in a way that reflects your beauty and your glory. Lord, help us to be generous, sensitive. Help us to look out for others and to look out for you and to seek to please you in every element of our lives. Jesus, we thank you that you did that perfectly. Though in this world, dressed in humility, now you are clothed in exaltation. We rejoice in you and pray in your name. Amen.